It's the bad guys with Earl Skankel and Chad Zubak. He turns to me and he says, Why so serious? He comes at me with the knife. Why so serious? He sticks the blade in my mouth. Let's put a smile on that face. And... Why so serious? All right, ladies and gentlemen, in association with Inappropriate Earl in the Sit Down Zumok podcast, we bring you the bad guys. I'm Chad Zumok. With me is Earl Skakel. And if you can take the time and go to iTunes and leave a five-star review, that would be great. And Earl, can you introduce today's guest? Uh, you know, words are hard to come to me right now, but... Uh... You know, the 80s were quintessential for action movies and uh, bad guys. And one stands above all the others because of his unique portrayal. So I'm going to lead in with a very bad impression because I can't do an Australian accent. But this is the scene where uh, they dropped off Schwarzenegger at LAX. Uh, I'll be back, Bennett. John, I'll be waiting. And then you and Bill Duke drove off into the sunset. Ladies and gentlemen, the great Australian actor. He's more than just Bennett, but we're going to get into his other roles. Mr. Vernon Wells. Yeah. Ah, good Lord. Thank you. I have never been done so badly in my life. (laughs) And Earl's a comedian. Earl's a comedian. I I know. Go ahead, Earl. Sorry. No, no, Mr. Wells. I uh, I don't think he hates that impression. He threatened to kill me before this. Unique, I have the unique ability to make any celebrity's voice sound just like mine. <laughs> yeah, that's that's mine. Yeah, I have that ability when I do an accent. They you know, I say, you still sound Australian. Well, and maybe he came from Australia. What's your point? Um, now, we were talking know. before this because um, Earl made the joke that we thought we had Vernon Wells, the baseball player. And then you proceeded to tell a story. I said, save it for the air. So what's your story, Vernon? Um, yeah, it's it, it's so funny because a few years ago I would get these baseballs in the mail with kids asking me to sign them, and I thought, you know, that's really weird. But what the hell? So I'd sign Vernon Wells and I'd send them back. And we were sitting in, um, I believe it was California Pizza Kitchen one night. There's like four of us, and um, a friend of mine was sitting across from me. I had my back, you know, where they've got all the TVs for all the sports up, and he said, "Hey, smartass, what are you doing on TV?" And I went, what? I'm not on TV. And he said, yeah, you are. And I turned around and said, Vernon Wells coming up to bat for the <laughs> Los Angeles. And I went, what? And there's, there's a guy called Vernon Wells who played for, I believe, uh, the team up in Canada and played for the Angels down here. And uh, it was so funny because these little kids had been sending baseballs to him. I'd been signing them and they're getting them, putting them on their mantelpiece going, Vernon Wells signed my baseball. So you actually signed them? 
Yeah, because I didn't know. <laughs> I thought they were just sending me baseballs. I thought there's got to be something in this. You know, maybe in one of my movies, I threw baseballs at someone. Doesn't come to mind, but what the hell? So you just went with it. That's great. You know, I just went with it, dude. Do you think anyone sent Vernon Wells, the baseball player, uh, an autographed picture and said, hey, I loved you in Commando? You know, it wouldn't have surprised me, to be honest, because both our names are exactly the same. Mostly I get if it's if it's Wells, the surname, it's W-E-L-L-E-S. His is W-E-L-L-S, exactly the same as mine. So it would not surprise me. <laughs> So let's go into the chronological order. So how did you get started in this business that brings you from Australia to Los Angeles? How did it all begin? I, obviously, I read your Wikipedia because that's how I do research. Yeah, me too. <laughs> Damn it. If it's not up there, they don't exist. Um, I never wanted to be an actor. I mean, that's in my bio anyway. Um, I, my whole thing was my mother was uh, a songwriter. And she wrote songs for Slim Dusty and people there, country and Western singers in Australia. And I sort of followed in her footsteps. I became um, a vocalist in rock and roll bands, you know, some very successful rock and roll bands, actually. And uh, that was where I thought I would be, you know, sex, drugs and rock and roll. Yay. More sex and drugs and rock and roll. But what the hell? It was fun. And I had no intentions of being an actor. I mean, it was not something that I even thought about. And I was in a, an accident with the, the band's truck with all our equipment, uh, which I had um, two vertebrae and my back were compressed. So oh, I geez. couldn't walk. And I had to uh, spend quite a long time recovering. And I couldn't work with the band, of course. And I became a pain in the rear end to our manager. I drove Bobby insane. So finally, he took all of my photographs around to all the casting agents in Melbourne and virtually told them he would pay them to take me off his hands. He was just fed up. So uh, one of them was casting um, commercials, a uh, cigarette brand, uh, co commercials for a cigarette brand. And I had horses because you know I was a country boy. I was born on a farm, raised on a farm. So I was used to riding horses and they needed someone that had a horse because then I had a Palomino. So it was very much like the the, the whole big thing. And so I got to do these cigarette commercials, which was fun. I had my horse. I was having a ball. I was getting paid, and I didn't have to share it with five other guys. So I was like, ooh, I could do this. I'll do this. Then I got really bored because modeling to me was like, oh, you got to be kidding. You know, smile, look scared, look do all this shit. Didn't like it. But what intrigued me was the camera work, the guy behind the camera, the crew. I was more in tune with them. So I would always gravitate towards the crew to talk to them about what they were doing because I was fascinated. And I was doing, I managed to get with the same director two or three, maybe four times. And he said to me one day, every time I want you, I got to drag your ass out from behind the camera. Exactly. What do you want to do? And I said, I'd like to be you because he's a, a really amazing director. And he said, oh, you think you could be me? And of course, then being a smart ass, I went, I think I could be better. And that was the end of that conversation. I thought, well, that just ruined my career really quickly. But the thing was, he thought it was very funny. And he hired me to work in his company. And I had to work my way through all the departments, everything, camera, you know, the whole, whole rigmarole until I was actually producing these very big commercials. 
And one night he was walking out and we had a very, very fidgety client who was a pain in the butt. To it. And I seemed to get along with him for some strange reason. And as he was walking out, he said, you know, uh, you'll be directing this tomorrow because, uh, you know, this one's yours. And I said, oh, great, thank you. And he just kept walking. And about five minutes later, I picked myself up off the floor and went, what have I done? <laughs> and uh, I directed a quite complex commercial uh, because I set it up so I knew how it was going to go. And that's where it started. I was being a director and loving it. And that was what I wanted to do for the rest of my life. Started my own production company for commercials, was as in, happy as a clam, as they say. And then um, I got asked to do a stage play called Hosanna uh, by Michelle Tremblay, the um, Canadian um, playwright. And I said no, because I didn't want to go back to acting. Um, I'd never acted. All I'd been was a model, so it really didn't appeal to me. And they just kept at me and 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 drove me insane till finally I said, all right, I'll read the script, uh, you know, like the, the play. And the play was about a transvestite and her boyfriend. And right there, I, I just rang my agent and said, nope. And she <laughs> said, why? And I said, because I'm not gay. And she went, no one's asking you to be gay. You know, it's a stage play. And I said, yes, but you don't. And anyway, it was this macho crap. Um, but I did it. Eventually, I got talked into I mean, it was an amazing piece. So um, I... Uh, I want to ask you, I don't, I don't mean to interrupt, but I want to ask, because you see, you're a front man of a rock band and yep. you're a pain in the ass. Me and Earl yep. are fans of rock music. We're diehard rock fans. So it's always the lead singer. It's always like the Axl Rose. It's always a problem. Mm -hmm. Where is it? Yep. Is it because of the, you're the lead singer? You have to be a problem. I don't think you have to be a problem, but I think being the, the lead singer, you're the one that gets all the attention. Yeah. <laughs> and, and then it's like, so you play up, you know, you're getting the attention. So you, and also you, you're kind of what the band is in its own way. Um, you know, I, I grew up with Gary Anderson. You may not know who Gary Anderson was. Rose Tattoo. Dude, I was just talking about Rose Tattoo today with Jim Florentine. They inspired Guns N' Roses. Yes. And they're like huge. They're like tattoo. And that's the reason why Guns N' Roses look so dirty is because they would cut, they came to the U.S. And Guns N' Roses was like, who are these guys? And it was a game changer. Yeah, well, well, Gary and I were friends from when we were little kids. We Is grew he the up. bald guy? Yes. Yes. Yeah, the little short one. Yeah. Um, little short us. Um, and we grew up uh, five blocks apart. And we used to have a band that we put together and we used to do all our little things. And then eventually we all drifted. I drifted more into the classic rock and roll and blues and things. Whereas Gary drifted into the file my teeth to their little points and everything. And he became the heavy metal rocker with Rose Tattoo. Um, and I still, to this day, adore him. And we still talk, you know, he's, and he's now Sir Gary Anderson. It's like, good God, what? They had one they couldn't <laughs> give away. So they gave it to you. Um, but he's just, he's an amazing person. He really is. He brought. Earl, are you familiar with Rose Tattoo, Earl? No, they were too good of a band for me. I was gravitating towards uh, Kiss. <laughs> Earl lives on Sunset or right off of Sunset. So, you know, I oh, will sure have to be gravitating towards Kiss. Yeah, right. <laughs> fine. Yes. Um, yes. Yeah, so no, no. Basically. I mean, well, I'll assume, Mr. Wells, you were the best looking guy in the band. So Vernon. that must have made it even worse. Ah, Vernon, you son of a uh, bitch. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Vernon, you son of a bitch. No, um. <laughs> It's funny, I did a film um, 
last year and the director would always call me mister and i said to him one day in frustration i said i'm serious dude you call me mister once more and it costs you five bucks and he went oh um and so i said we're gonna have on set a vern a mr vernon bucket and every time anyone calls me mr five dollars goes in it i ended up with like 250 bucks for charity when the film was over because people couldn't help themselves and it's like i hate it yeah. i think that it's it's a privilege to be called mr don't get me wrong it's a privilege to be called mr and i always remember i grew up with my grandfather i called him mr simply because that's what he was it's respect you know? Yes, I'm just a big fucking kid. <laughs> so why the hell do I want to be called Mister? You know, I I play at games for a living. Good God, you know, I I don't, I I, I just look around for my father when anybody calls me. What, Dad's come back? Dear God. Um, Let me ask you real quick. I appreciate when, you the, when you were in the rock band, were you hanging out with ACDC around that time? That was back. Um, yeah, um, my best friend one of my other best friends alan holmes was acdc's um investment manager and he taught them how to put their money in places you know so they still had money um so i knew acdc i never worked with them i knew them as as um and all of the big australian bands around the uh early uh, late 60s 70s going into early 80s, all of those, we all grew up together. And we all, even though we're in different bands, um, I was in what would have been called at that time an Australian supergroup, but wasn't. It was just a lot of session musos who put together this band and then they said, you want to come and sing for it? And I went, yeah, what the fuck, why not? <laughs> and so we had this amazing band, but we had no idea what we were. We were just having fun. So, you know, we got out there and played and just did our thing. And then, of course, you get the word supergroup from all the American groups that were composed the same way. They were all session musos and things that got together the best of the best and made these amazing bands. And we kind of did it and thought it was the greatest thing since sliced bread. Earl. I mean, I just assume all Australian celebrities know each other. Like, <laughs> you know. like yeah, you totally. Think, There's you know. only what? There's only 12 of us in Australia and we kind of hang out together. <laughs> well, I just assume you, ACDC, uh, Paul Hogan, Oil, uh, Yahoo Serious, you all go to the same gym. Yeah, you know. totally. Except I haven't been home for 40 odd years, so I, I, I've kind of missed them, I think. <laughs> I mean, at this uh, point in time when you're starting acting and, and, and obviously in the music uh, scene and, and modeling, was it a goal to eventually come to America and do that? Or did you want to just stay in Australia? I never, ever, ever wanted to come to America. And it wasn't anything, <laughs> it wasn't any bad reason. It was just that I didn't see me fitting in in America. And I was like, no, I don't want to go to America. That's, you know, that's, that's beyond. But I actually got brought over by Joel Silver to do uh, Weird Science. Yes. And uh, um, that was kind of where it all Oh, my American thing started. And then the funny thing is someone the other day asked me, they said, how did you get your green card? You know, like to work in America. And I said, you know, I was fortunate this, this uh, up and coming actor who really hadn't made it, but was American, you know, that was lived in Australia signed for me. And they went, what, who? I said, I think his name was Mel Gibson. 
So I came over and Mel Gibson signed all my paperwork for me and I got my green card. So it was just kind of one of those things. Now you now you want to know weird science, but we got to backtrack a little bit because uh, there's a little historical movie that's still to this day iconic. Probably I remember seeing this movie when I was six years old. My cousin Jason was obsessed with it. It was 19. I think I was 1981. The Road Warrior. How does that come into play? How's that become a thing? You know, that's what I was talking about was when I got into this stage play, um, the uh, Hosanna, the first scene, I walk on stage after the lead. There's only two of us in the in the whole play. Um, after the lead has done this monologue, and which sets the whole thing up, I walk on stage and I'm dressed in leathers and I strip naked and masturbate. Oh. And the uh, first row of the uh, – now you know why I didn't want to do it. Uh, the first <laughs> row of the audience is like six feet away from the end of my – so it was a hard thing for me. I mean, just going out there every night so. and doing something that was so alien to who I was as a person was just torture. But Sandy Gore, who was George Miller's girlfriend at that stage, came to a performance and rang George and said, you have got to come see this guy. He just dominates the stage. Come and see him. He's wonderful. Which I, if you had have told me, I probably would have hit her. But then... Um, <laughs> <laughs> she uh, and George came down to see me. I had no idea why he wanted to see me. I had I had never seen Road Worry, the original. Uh, sorry, uh, Mad Max, the original Mad Max. I'd never seen it. Um, so he came down. We had a cup of coffee. We did this. We chatted together. We told dumb jokes to each other. And he left. That was the end of it. I still had no idea why I was having coffee with this man. And my manager rang me and said, um, they need you to go to Sydney for... Um, wardrobe tests and makeup tests. And I said, who needs me to go where, what? And she said, uh, George Miller for, for his new film, um, Mad Max 2. I went, what? I, what's Mad Max? And she <laughs> went, oh, please don't tell me you haven't seen Mad Max. And I said, no, I haven't actually. He said, well, please go see it. It's on at the drive-in. Just get your ass to a drive-in and see it. So I went to the drive-in and the funny thing was, it was Mad Max and Duel. Ooh. Steven Spielberg's first movie. Yes. So I sat there and watched this doubleheader. And uh, next That's a morning, good doubleheader, actually. That's a good doubleheader. It was a great doubleheader. But I rang my manager the next one. He said, so did you see it? I said, yeah. And he said, what did you think? I thought Duel was better. <laughs> <laughs> and she went, do not say that to George Miller. <laughs> I actually told George and he thought it was hysterical. Um, but that was where it all started. And then I went up. Um, I never really wanted to do Mad Max because I didn't feel I could. You know, I was terrified of the whole thing. It was scary. You got to look at it. I'd never done anything. I think I'd been on television four times. I was not this, you know, actor that had done a million things and coming into this, this huge movie. And so it scared me. And the, the nicest thing was that, that um, Mel was just so amazing to work with. He was so nice, so good, so giving, you know, like, and a pain in the ass because you're like a big kid. He would be pulling pranks all day until you kind of beat your head against the wall. Um, but he was wonderful. I loved him because he just had that thing about him that he would give you the space to do it. And he would sort of say, no, you know, if you, if you got frustrated, you'd say, hang on a minute, let me tell you. And away you'd go. So for that, I appreciate everything. And George was the same. George was wonderful. I actually, uh, 
blew it for George in the fact that they had a Japanese um, film crew out there and they were doing, because the Japanese loved the first one. So, of course, they were really into the second one. And uh, they were filming us for a documentary. And I was being my normal idiot self and I was on the boardwalk that up the top of the set. Yep. And I was putting the camera up beneath me, getting all ready to do it. And I figured that they were just setting everything up, testing everything. So I was in a happy mood. So I was strutting up and down this boardwalk as gay as I could figure out how to be. Did you have the shoulder pads on? I had everything on and I was just (laughs) so out there, man. It was so hysteric. Had my hand on my hip doing the whole thing, just being a total dumbass. And they said, uh, and and they would ask me questions. I figured they were testing microphones. So I was like, oh, yes. I was like, oh, yes, you know, I really had trouble with some of that dialogue. It's not right the way I speak. And doing all this dumb shit. (laughs) And I, I, I figured, okay, they're about to do it now. So I got myself all ready and I stood there and I said, when are we doing it? And the little Japanese man said, we finished. Thank you. <laughs> and I went, oh, shit. And George Miller walked out of where he was across. He stood underneath. He looked up at me and he said, yes, Vernon. It's not over until the fat man sings. And boy, am I going to sing. And just walked <laughs> off. And I went, I'm dead. I'm going to die on this movie. George Miller's going to kill me. Um, it was hysterical. I used to have so much fun, though. Earl, oh, what do you got? Wait. <laughs> Earl, what do you got? Well, I was wondering, uh, there was a pro wrestling team in the mid-80s who seemed to have ripped off your character. They were called, actually, the Road Warriors, and they yep. had a very uh, similar look to you. Uh, did you get any of your uh, uh, creative juices from like watching pro wrestling at all, or, or did they rip off you? Uh, they ripped off me, actually, but I knew them. Um, I met them at a uh, convention, and they were the nicest guys in England, actually. We were in London at a convention, and they were sitting at a table, about four tables from mine, and I went up and introduced myself, and they were the nicest two guys. They really were. And uh, we we got on really well. And I never... When I was... Because I was new to the situation when I got Road Warrior, I didn't have any of these built-in things that you do. What I did was I I created Wes from what I gleaned from the script and from George doing five days of writing our own biography of who we were. So by the time we'd finished doing that, I really knew who the character was regardless of whether I was a seasoned actor or not. And from that, I built the character. And George let me go with it. He just allowed me to do what I felt the character would do. And that's why it worked, I think, because I didn't get stressed and I didn't get scared of what I was doing. I I actually got into the character more and more and loved what I was doing. So I think more than anything, that is where it it, uh, succeeded. He's a very intelligent man. Was that your idea to have uh, was to have a partner that looks like Duff McKagan from Guns N' Roses, the bass player? Nope. I had no. I had nothing to do with. The only thing I had to do with was the 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 feathers around my neck, because when they first built the costume, it was an American gridiron shoulder pads, which just I would bleed because I moved so much, and it would just cut the shit out of the side of my neck. And George, we can't have that. We've got to do something. So they put um, sheepskin in it. 
to, to map that down. And then they went, oh God, that looks just so gay. So they decided <laughs> they had to figure something out. So they got the, the feathers and they put the, the feathers around it. And that's where that came from, you know. Um, and the back flap, the butt flap, I fought for that. Oh, God, Lemmy, I fought for that. They wanted me to be bare-assed and I would not have it. And it was like, nope, you give me a butt flap or something. So they figured that that was the closest thing they could get to bare-assed because it blew up all the time. So it really didn't <laughs> matter. But it made me feel better. That was the only thing I fought for. Everything else on the costume was done by uh, Norma McCurry, I think McCurry, her name was. I could be totally wrong. But uh, she was just the most wonderful um, lady. And I, I always remember in an uh, interview, she said that she got her ideas for my costume from walking every day to the office. She would walk past this, this S&M store and all these leather things and all that shit was in the front window and she she built Wes from all this SM stuff. So that's where my costume came from. It was like, oh great, good God. Um but uh, yeah, it was kind of obvious most of the time what he was, but uh, it was fun. I, I I you know for many, many years I felt it was this huge millstone around my neck because people could only look at me as that character. And I, it, it really turned me off acting for quite a while because I, I always felt that, you know, I'm going nowhere. I'm getting asked to do the same thing and I can't, you know, get out of this trap I'm in. But I think after I did Weird Science, Inner Space, uh, Commando and a few others, people began to back off from that and I was able to actually become an actor. Yeah, Earl and I just had William Caddon, who played the greatest American hero, and we're talking mm -hmm. about... Yeah, having no, he yeah, having a great iconic character, like, I, I don't know, I mean, you know, Earl and I are comics, I would kill for just one thing, <laughs> and you've done a lot, so I don't understand. Yeah, I, don't I, I have been, I have been incredibly lucky, I mean, I, you know, I look at my career and think for a little kid from the, from the bush, yeah, you know, grew up on a farm, never had this burning desire to become an actor who virtually came into it by accident, as they say, um, my career has been incredible. I mean, I have just, I just finished my 314th or 15th film. I mean, oh. I have had a career that's just out of control. And this year, which is really weird, like last year and this year, I've just started piling up awards. It's, it's like, oh, great. You waited until I was about to die and then you started giving me all the bloody awards. You wouldn't happen to have an award with you right now. Yeah, I would. Oh. <laughs> what is that <laughs> i have an award here this is for best actor in a film i did called fear of the woods and um it uh, was i i got it this morning actually came in the mail they sent it to me and it's from the real horror festival and i'm actually up for <laughs> another best actor in that particular film it's a it's a um one that, that I'm up against actors from England, um, America, um, and uh, Canada, and I think Germany. And they've got me down because we shot the film over in Sweden. I'm Swedish. There you go. Yeah, I'm, I'm totally <laughs> Swedish. But uh, so yeah. Like, and going back to the Road Warrior, when it's released, did you just think it was just another gig? I'm done. It's not going to be a big deal. I'm just going to go on to the uh, next thing. 
No, we all knew it was going to be big. Not here. We, we knew that it was going to be big in Asia because the Japanese were just infatuated with it. Um, so we all knew it was going to be big there. But for every one of us, I think, especially me, I thought, like, that's my 15 minutes. I'm now going back to what I do, which is direct, and which is what I did. And then, of course, um, Joel Silver started ringing, wanting me to do uh, Weird Science. And I was like, no, I don't want to go to America. And I, I actually, it's funny because... It, it was one of those American things where I kept saying no and they kept saying yes and they kept ringing back. And then finally they said, we don't want him. And, you know, I said, that's good. I don't care. I don't want to go. <laughs> and then like six weeks later, they rang and said, this is our last chance. We got to have blah, blah. So my agent said to me, he said, sweetheart, get on a plane and go. You're the only person I've ever represented that I think can make it and I want you to do it for me you're, you're like a hot and, girl you're like a hot girl yeah. like you, you hot girls they act like they don't you know they you were like putting them off and they wanted you more yeah <laughs> that was what it was but I really I you know when I came over I I you know I, I figured I'd be over here do one movie and that'd be it you know it would be finished I would be out of here and gone um except that's not the way Joel Silver saw it he uh was doing this movie with this guy called Arnold Swatzafika. I, I had no idea what his name was. <laughs> and he said, you know, I want you to be in it and be the villain. And I went, uh, okay. Your career is hilarious, That's by the way. Good. Yeah, I, I know. It's, it's, it's <laughs> me saying no and then saying yes. And somebody said to me, it's like, how did you get where you are? Seriously. It's, uh, it's fun. I love it. I, I have so much fun. And of course, you literally um, just fall into everything. You're like Forrest yes. Gump. <laughs> yes. I'm there at the right time. And actually, literally, I fell into inner space with Steve. Dennis Quaid and Martin Short. Yep. And I was on my way home, believe it or not, and going to the airport. And my manager rang me and said, You've got to make a, a, a deviation across town uh, because um, they want to see you for. Uh, Steven Spielberg's new movie. And I was like, oh, Joe Dante and Michael are doing Michael's producing, Joe Dante's directing. I was like, oh, whatever. So I went across. And there's all these people in the room. But they knew I had to get to the airport. So they just asked everybody in the room. I said, look, if you don't mind, can we, we need to take Vernon through because he's actually on his way to the airport to fly out. So everybody was gracious enough to say fine. And I went in and it was a round glass table. And I was sitting at it and Joe's talking to him and he said, you know, um, Stephen wants you to come in because you, your character in Road Warrior fascinates him. He loves it. And uh, he just wants to work with you. And I said, oh, that's amazing. Thank you. That's great. And he said, however, he took all your dialogue away from you and he's uh, going to take one of your arms off and you wear sunglasses. And I went, you sure you wouldn't like someone else to do this? I mean, why me? Jeez. And it was just amazing thing of where they wanted me to act but they didn't want me to use any of my tools so uh, i had this thing so i was kind of like yeah well sounds great and uh, i'd love to do it but um you know you got a lot of other people to see and i got to get to the airport and they said yep thank you for coming in blah and i went to stand up and i leant on the table and it wasn't secured down it was just a glass on top of the legs and I went down, the table came up and it just came back and I put my hands up and I was laying on the floor with this table on top of me and Joe Dandy walked over and looked down at me and said, interesting way to get a movie. <laughs> <laughs> 
Now we got to go back. We got to go back. We went up to inner space and this is where Earl's going to grab the interview because this is his wheelhouse. And we were talking, I think, honestly, the character Bennett, in my opinion, is probably one of the top five bad guys of all time. What do you think, Earl? You take it from here. Well, I disagree. I think it's number one. Because, oh, uh, whoa. Well, no, I mean, most 80s bad guys were portrayed as almost meatheads and, uh, you know, uh, monosyllabic zingers. And uh, the character of Bennett might be the most homoerotic bad guy in the history of films. Uh, from, <laughs> no, and I, I mean this, Vernon, respectfully, yeah. but even... I remember seeing Commando when I was, I think, 16 at that mall uh, where a lot of the early parts of the film were filmed. And I was like, okay, this guy's not like any other bad guy. He's got the Freddie Mercury mustache. He's got the fishnet tank top and a almost gayish catty way of delivering his lines. <laughs> uh, did you get inspiration from anything in particular to play him that way? You know, the, I'll tell you a little story. I went to see the director, Joel Silver, was producing that one after we did uh, Weird Science. Um, and uh, I went to see the director and he didn't want me in the film. He said, no, I've got my cast and I want. So I went back to uh, Australia um, and they rang me up a few months later and asked me to fly back to the States. They'd been filming for a few weeks and uh, it hadn't worked out and they needed to replace that villain. So I flew back to America and basically touched down in the evening after a 12 hour flight, went over to uh, the set over and uh, they took me into wardrobe, put all of the costume this other guy had had on, on me. And he was a lot slimmer than I am and uh, taller because he was very slim and tall. And uh, said, well, that's what you're going to have to wear. We'll put it together as best we can because you're working tomorrow morning. So I went to the States, got off a plane, did a wardrobe thing, and they shaved my beard. I had a beard. I've always got a beard. So they've shaved my beard off. And I went to bed. And about six hours later, I got up and went to the set uh, to start filming on the, the film. And... Uh, I had no input into that costume whatsoever. It was what they had <laughs> and it was what I had to wear. And uh, I was like, yeah, whatever. Who was the actor um, you replaced? Who was the actor you replaced? I have, have no idea. Okay. I really don't. I have never inquired because I didn't, you know, I didn't know why they wanted me after, you know, why if something had gone wrong. So I didn't want to get involved in any of that. So I never inquired. I just, went and did my job. It was, it was funny because Arnold was very um, weary of me because I'm very quiet. I don't sort of walk around the set being all, whoa, whoa, whoa. I just, I'm very quiet. I sit behind the camera with the cameraman chatting to him. And so he said to Joel, he said he didn't think it would work, you know, because, you know, I just didn't have that, that thing. And uh, Joel said to him, he said, well, can we do this scene? And if it doesn't work out, then we'll recast the role. Um, and he said, all right. And it was the one where he's tied to the table and I put the knife to his throat and say, you know, if I'd had my way, I would have cut your throat. Um, 
And so I'm just standing over. They do this like rehearsal and I just walk through it because you know, I'm trying to figure out where all the lights, camera and all the shit is. Get everything in my brain. I'm fine. And, and poor Arnie's getting more and more upset because he doesn't think I can ever pull off being this tough bad guy. And uh, they went action, and I just leapt onto Schwarzenegger and had that knife halfway up his ass to his tonsils. <laughs> and when it was over, uh, Joel Silver walked, and Arnold's still tied to the table. And when, when it was over, um, Joel Silver walked over to him and said, so what do you think? And he went, never let the son of a bitch have a real knife. And that was the end of it. We got on famously together from that moment on. We had a ball, uh, but it was just funny that... Uh, I, I guess it's it's just sometimes people look at you and think, well, he couldn't do that. And, you know, the amount of times people have come up to me and said, for the longest time, I never knew that you were the road warrior and yeah, Orlando, because you not nothing about what you And I had it from a director one day said to me, the reason is that, that villains tend to be villains all the time. And they tend to have this way of doing it. And it doesn't really change. So you know whenever they're in a film, they're a villain. It's that simple. And they said, you, you, you son of a bitch, you come on and you look like the fucking king of Normandy and suddenly you got a knife cutting people's throats. He said, you're just never the same persona. So people don't know it's you unless they're so aware of what you're doing. And I actually remember in high school, I had a Roger Ebert book where he used to review movies. And I remember, that's when I found out Wes and you were the same person. I was like, oh, like I, as a child, I was like, I didn't know that was the same guy. That mustache threw off everybody. <laughs> well, I think one of the things I noticed in Commando, and this is no disrespect to any other 80s bad guys, but you were a better actor. Like, it wasn't just, like you said, you weren't just, Ugh. Uh, you know, you added like a, a flair I had never seen in a bad guy before. And I, you know, obviously Schwarzenegger is Schwarzenegger. He's the king, especially at that time. But I, I really enjoyed the, the the bad guys overall, like Bill Duke and Dan yep. Hedaya. Uh, yep. It was a great, uh, and you guys seemed to have good chemistry. And, and uh, yeah, I, I was almost rooting for you over Schwarzenegger, which I'd never done before. <laughs> It was, yeah, it, it's it's just one of those things. I try to build the character out of what I'm told and what I learn and how I, because I love watching the other actors and what they're doing. And that's where I get a lot of the way I want to do the character from. Because with, to me, with Arnie and, and the, the character of Bennett was that Bennett wanted to be Arnie. That was his sole purpose in life was to be, that character, he just wanted to be usurp the boss and be the boss. And that's where I played it. And I, I thought, I can't just go out there and be the heavy because it doesn't work. You know, if, if, in reality, because I get so into reality with these things. Um, in reality, if I did that, he would have me shot. So I've got to be very smart about this. So I need to play the game. So that's what I did with it. I used to get the character being a little smart assed and just kind of, you know, doing his thing and leading along where Arnie was going until we got to that point of where we start the war. And then he changes, then he becomes all business. You know, he just wants to kill Arnie. And the funny thing is, is when we were doing that, that 
fight scene where I was punching him in the ribs and saying, you know, what's it feel like to be a dying man? I had a broken, I had a broken arm while we were doing that. I was no actually way. hitting him with a fractured arm. How'd you break your arm? Oh, in one of the scenes Arnie and I were doing, he the scene where he puts me in the arm lock in that same sequence and lifts me and he says, you know, fuck you sort of thing. And that's yeah. before he beats the shit out of me and throws me into the thing and spears me. Holy shit. When he did that, we did that, rehearsed it a, a few times. And we're both, Arnie and I, probably five or 10 pound difference in our weight. And there's no difference in our height and size. You know, we're built first. He's all muscle. I'm just people. Um, so, you know, it's, it's like we got in there and we're doing this thing and I'm, we did it, you know, as I said, two or three times, I'm thinking, I'm a little tired. We've been working for like 10 hours. I know this is gonna hurt. And I, I, the last time we did it was on camera and I was a half a step behind because I had to go up on my toes because him being the same height as me, when he puts me, I have to take the strain. I have to go up so that I don't get the strain on my arm. I was half a step behind. And as he put me in that lock, I went, oh, this will hurt. And it went, and I went, yep, that hurt. Oh my and God. They um, put me in, I was wearing a, uh, you know, those soft, what do they call them? The soft. Uh, yeah, on my arm. And I would take it off when I was shooting, put it back when I wasn't. And they used to give me the uh, shots. They give the uh, um, uh, football players. Yeah, in, in my arm so that I didn't care. I, I, I would have gone out and, and uh, beat on the whole fucking crew. I was so <laughs> zapped up after I got one of those injections. But no, it was, uh, it was fun. Arnie got hurt too. He got a crack in his collarbone from one of the scenes we did. We were two big guys trying to see who could piss up the wall the highest. And it was fun. I mean, I had but so like much I fun. Found, I found that final fight scene very believable. Like I watch that to this day i'll probably watch it in 10 minutes and uh i'm like i could see this guy beating schwarzenegger like normally you know it wouldn't be very believable because he's such a massive big guy but mm -hmm. you uh you know that's what i really loved about that final fight scene is up until the end yep <laughs> you got the pole through your chest <laughs> it was I, like, it was... i'm rooting for well that was the point of why they wanted me to do it was that because Arnold was worried about the size differential with him and the, the original actor, because he thought it would look silly because he could virtually pick him up and break him in half. And he was looking for someone who complimented who he was. Yeah, I'd like to think you replace Scott Bayo. That's just me. Go ahead. Oh, <laughs> yeah, well, I had his well, daughter. No, well, yeah, well, well based on the outfit. I think he replaced Liberace. <laughs> <laughs> I seriously have no idea who I replaced and why, but uh, I, I have been told different things and I don't like to spread rumors, so I don't even worry about it. But I mean, I was, I was thankful that I got the role and that I was able to make it work the way it worked. And um, I, I really, enjoy what I do. And because of that, I think I put it all on the screen. I don't hide anything behind the, the, the pretense of something else. I just put it, man, I just lay it on the screen. You don't like it? Well, I'm sorry, but that's the way I'm doing it. And yeah. um, 
it generally works that way. It's kind of, I, I always remember the guy I'm in partnership with in a production company, Brian Martin, we're doing films. Um, the first time I met Brian, he asked me to come up to Sacramento, that's where he's based, and do a, a little film he's doing called, he did called Savior of None, which is one of the most beautiful films. And uh, I said, all right, you know, they need it. I think I got recommended by the special effects guy who had worked with me. So I went up, I read the script, loved the script, read my part, got it all in my head, knew where I wanted to go with it. He picks me up at the airport because I have to shoot all night. They can only afford me for one night. That's for 14 hours straight. That's all they can afford to have me for. And so I was flying up in the morning to Sacramento, going to bed, getting up, going to the set, and then working all night and uh, getting back on a plane, flying back to Los Angeles. So I get there, Brian picks me up and... And he said, I guess you're wondering why the director writer is picking you up. And I went, no, I expect that because of who I am. I'm being so facetious. <laughs> and he was like, oh. Yeah, here comes your front yeah. end. This is yeah. your front ego. <laughs> and and I, then I said, no, I'm kidding. Um, I, I figured that, that uh, you needed to talk to me. And he said, yes, actually, I do. I wanted to tell you about the character so that tonight we don't have to go through all the things. I said, oh, that's great. I said, can I do, can you do me a favor? Let me tell you what I think, because I've made a character and I sort of see where it's coming from. And then you tell me where I'm wrong. That way we can build the character between us. And, you know, I won't be sort of taking all of your shit or you won't be taking all mine. He said, okay, go for it. So I told him what I thought and how I thought the character should be and why he was like that, what his motivation was, what had happened in his past life and all this shit. And then when I finished, I sort of looked at him and I said, so what did I screw up? And it was, I always remember it. He just loved it. He's just driving and he looked across at me and he went, fuck you. And just kept driving. <laughs> it was like he said, he'd never heard anybody break a character down so completely where there was nowhere to go. He couldn't say anything. I had he crossed all the T's, dotted all the I's. But that's what I do. I just, I pull it apart and go into it the way, you know, this um, little thing we did called Fear of the, of the Woods. Once again, I, you know, and it's winning so many awards. It's a short, believe it. Is that out? Can you get it like on Amazon Prime yes. or anywhere? Yes, you can get it um, on um, uh, YouTube, all over the place. It's called um fear of the woods and it's won so many awards it is unbelievable and what it is the funny thing was he shot it in um sweden and i was up to my balls in snow for like three days freezing parts of me that i thought i would probably want to use one day baby um into nothingness um and he he did it as a proof of concept because there's a, a like 10 foot Kodiak bear in it and things like that, which had to be done with um, green screen and things like that. But he needed to show that they had the facilities to make it work. And so he did the first 25 minutes of the film. And then when it was finished, everybody thought it was just unbelievable. When you see it, you'll realize why I'm talking about it. The cinematography is stunning. I mean, it is absolutely stunning. There's only three people in the film, plus a very large bear. Um, and the other two actors are Swedish and they're brilliant. One plays my son, the other plays my brother. They're just the most wonderful, wonderful people to work with. Uh, the director I'd worked with on another film, so I knew him, Titus. 
um, everything was just so amazing. And when it was finished, they edited it, put it together, put the music. They were like, wow, shit, we've got something here. So they put it into all these festivals just as a short. And consequently, I think the directors won eight directing awards. The film has won something like 12 awards for best in, in uh, show. Wow. And it's just this amazing little short. And now I'm picking up awards for it, which I think is wonderful because I love uh, working in it. But it's just, you know, you. I think to be who I am is to be blessed because I have this amazing life. I mean, I have the most amazing wife. My wife's um, Japanese-American. She just... I live on the beach. <laughs> I get to do what I love to do, which is direct and act. So I'm doing, now I'm doing both again. I work with the most amazing people. I have people like you that, that actually want to talk to me, which always amuses me. You know, <laughs> people want to delve into who the hell I am. You have no um, idea how excited we were. I, I, no, I, I, told, I told so many of my friends, and I know you've done like 300 plus films, but every friend I said, I'm talking to Bennett tomorrow. <laughs> and uh, they all were like, come in. Ask him about the outfits. <laughs> Uh, you know what's funny is everybody asks me about the vest, the chainmail vest, and it always comes up. You know, if that was real chainmail, you wouldn't be wearing it around. I say, yeah, you're right, because it isn't. Um, and what it was was it was a thing called a Stoker's vest, which was what the English Stokers in the the hold of the ship, the warships in the Second World War and the First World War, they would wear these things because they were made out of merino wool. And right. they would absorb the sweat from, you know, they're stoking into the big furnaces. So there's sparks and shit coming out all the time. They would absorb the body sweat. And when they got hit with the sparks, they wouldn't burn because wool is very difficult to burn when it's wet. So they wore them for that reason. They were cool because they, all the air went into them. And when they sweat, the, um, the wool absorbed the sweat and kept them cool. And they didn't get burned. And that's what it was. And they went and sprayed it silver. I don't know why to make it look like it was armor. And as somebody said, it was the weakest armor in history because Arnold threw a bloody great pipe through you. Um, <laughs> well, let me ask you this, because we only have a couple more minutes. I got to ask you three quick questions. I know Earl has a couple questions to close it out. But OK, huh. with that being said, how many times have you heard let off some steam Bennett since 1985 Two, what was it like working with John Hughes? And three, do you listen to the Alyssa Milano podcast? Go ahead. <laughs> okay, um, I have probably heard "Let Off Some Steam" Bennett a million times. I mean, seriously, <laughs> it's just one of those things. Um, John Hughes was the reason I I did um, Weird Science. Um, I wasn't doing it; I just didn't want to do it. But when I heard he was directing it, and I looked into who he was, I went, "Oh my God!" You know, fourteen candles, and you know all these angst kid movies. I thought this could be fun. So of course I so I flew over and did it and uh, had a ball doing it. I, he was just the most amazing human being. He was very much to me like George Miller. They were both they both have that wonderful thing where they don't raise their voice ever. They're just very quiet and they ask you to do things and you know and it's just wonderful. And Alyssa Milano was my little sister whom I adore to this day. 
Um, and no, I didn't know she had a podcast. Yeah, it's very popular. I wasn't sure if you knew of it or not. So <laughs> there's, that's all I needed. That's all I wanted to know. Early, let's close. You ask your questions and we'll, uh, we'll do all the plugs. Well, I have to ask this question because in uh, 1987, I went to the Abco Theater in Westwood to see the movie Predator. And uh, the, the opening scene of Predator is when the helicopter is coming to the beach, the door opens, and the first person that gets out is Cook from Commando. And I'm crossing my fingers going, I hope Bennett's in this movie. Please let Bennett be right behind him. Because I know that some people did multiple Schwarzenegger films, uh, did you, uh, you wouldn't have happened to have auditioned for Predator, did you? No, I was never asked to go in for it. So, um, no, he doesn't audition. He just falls into things, Earl. He doesn't. Yeah, basically. <laughs> well, now, now it's, it's really cool because I, I virtually don't audition very much because people just, they know what I've done. You know, they just say, hey, you're exactly what I want. So this is what we're doing. Do you want to do it? Uh, which I think is amazing. I love it. But, you know, I, I, I've never taken what I do for granted. To me, it's, it's my career. It's what I do and I love it. And um, I think I get more pissed off with people that treat acting and, and your, what you, well, entertainment as this kind of, oh, you know, I can go out and get stoned and drunk and cause all kinds of trouble on the set, or I can be an asshole. I, that really peeves me because, you know, this is, this is something special. We get to entertain people. We get to get, take people's minds off the bullshit of the day. They can actually go and cheer for the good guy and, and, and boo the villain. And with you guys, they can come into a comedy uh, store and they can sit down, have a few beers and laugh their asses off at things that they find very offensive and not have to worry about it. And that's where we should be so blessed for what we do and not take it for granted because, you know, Tomorrow you can lose it. As they say, you're only as good as what you did the day before. Well, Vernon, I don't know if you know this, but Earl's actually the roast battle champion from Comedy Central. Earl, would you like to brag a little bit to your hero? Well, I would normally, but I I have one more question for uh, (laughs) Vernon Wells. I almost said Mr. Wells. I mean, you've worked with Mel Gibson. You've worked with Arnold Schwarzenegger, Steven Spielberg, but... Can you give us a 30-second story on working with Fred Dreyer on Hunter? Oh, my God. You know, it was so funny. It was so funny. Fred, Fred and I actually got along fine, except I went into his dressing room. We were doing something, and I never knew who his wife was. And there was the Playboy was open laying on the table, and it was at the center. Oh, pole, yeah, that's right. was his wife. And... Without even knowing it, I walked up and I looked and I said, oh, I could fuck her. (laughs) Um, Good for you. Probably not the smartest thing to say in front of Fred Dwyer. But you know what the funny thing was? He just sort of looked at me and then he grinned and he went, you have no idea, do you, you dumb shit? And I went, what's it, your sister or something? And he went, it's my wife. I think it was his ex wife <laughs> that day. And I went, oh, my God, I am so sorry. And he said, don't worry about it. It's okay. But it was so funny that he, he changed instantly when I said it. Then he just sort of relaxed because it was totally, I had no clue. No. Well, I'm, on, I'm on record to say that's the best Fred Dreyer story I've ever heard. Uh, yeah, I love I really, him. He was so nice. I love him. He was so nice. Earl, with uh, that I mean, being said, did let- you like- go ahead. 
Well, I have one request, uh, Vernon, and I, like, you don't have to do it. And I apologize to Chad because oh, this come is a once on. in a lifetime. No, this is a once in a lifetime opportunity, Vernon, to be uh, not in a room with you. I know this, this isn't a you. Make a Wish Foundation, Earl. <laughs> I have to have uh, Vernon look at me and, and say, "I'm not going to shoot you in the oh, eyes, John. Okay. I'm shooting you in the balls." Well, I'd, I'd probably have to say it with your your name, wouldn't I? Oh, I would be honored if you said Earl, but you don't have to. No, no, it'd have to be with Earl. All right, let me do it for you. All right, and we'll make I'm it like a Hollywood. Oh, sorry. We'll, I'll we'll direct. make it a Hollywood scene. Uh, I'll direct. Sound, I'll... sound, speed, rolling, and action. I'm not going to shoot you between the eyes, Earl. I'm going to shoot you between the balls. <laughs> What? You know what? If someone put a, if someone put a bullet in my head right now, I could die and go to heaven. <laughs> this was amazing. This was so much fun, Vernon. I can't uh, thank you enough. Is there anything you want to plug? You have. I don't think you're on social media, are you? Yeah, yeah. I'm on uh, Facebook. I'm on uh, Grace. What am I on? <laughs> Lithium. No, Instagram. Kidding. Instagram. I'm looking you up right now. What's the other one? Twitter. I don't tweet. I actually have a, a guy do it for me. I have a an internet guru do, do it for me because I'm totally useless. I look at it and go, uh, okay. Um, so he does all that, but it, it's Instagram, Facebook, um, all that stuff. I just added you. You, I got Wells Vernon. You can follow him yep. on Instagram, and here's your award right there. The one you have. Uh, Thank you. <laughs> uh, Earl, you close uh, it out, buddy. Well, uh, Vernon, it's been an honor. I think I can speak for Chad here. We're, we're both, uh, you, you know, we don't want to lay it on too thick, but we're both gigantic fans of yours. And, uh, you know, you're such an iconic actor. I just want to say thank you for, you know, all your work. And, like, you were, like, the bad guy of my childhood so uh, it's it, the honor's been all ours oh thank you no i i you know what i always look at it logically if you're doing something right people want to talk to you if you're not they don't so i kind of consider this to be a validation of what i do and i appreciate you guys wanting to talk to me and also i would just like to say if you want to have me back at some stage to talk about shit i'd love to come on and, and yak and carry on with you too it's a joy um, what are you doing I have <laughs> You just opened Pandora's box, buddy. We're going to be uh, hanging out well, with you. I don't. No, we're going to. Uh, we're coming we're to the beach tomorrow. We're going to talk tomorrow with you about MacGyver. <laughs> oh dear Lord! I have a fun story about MacGyver. Are we, can we? Can we hear it? Is it too late? I don't want to keep you. Okay, no. Oh no! No, that'd be silly. I did MacGyver and my wife, lover, is not into what I do. She's just yelling at me from the other, don't you tell them that story. Um, and she's not into all of the, this stuff. She loves what I do. She's extraordinarily proud of me. And, um, but it's not her world. And sure. so she's always afraid that if I see somebody that I've worked with and I'm going to go up and say hello, they won't recognize me and I'll feel like an idiot. So she's always saying, don't say... No, don't say anything. So we're shopping. And uh, MacGyver walks into the... Uh, Richard Dean Anderson. Uh, Richard Dean Anderson. 
he walks in and I say to Grace, oh, there's Ricky. I'm going to walk over and say, hello. I, I did the show with him. And she said, no, don't, please don't. He, Where are you at? The Grove? Where are you at? No, we're just here on, in Pacific Palisades down the street at, at the uh, grocery store. I think at uh, Ralph's or something. Heinen's? Something. One of those. Uh, Air One. Uh, no, it the, was Bonds. Uh, it was Bonds down on the corner of Sunset and Pacific Coast Highway. Well, what do you have against Ralph's? I don't like them, all right? Don't push <laughs> me, buddy. Um, so I, I, what was, I, I, I go. What was he making? Uh... Sorry? Oh, was, was, he, was he making a cucumber into a pipe bomb? <laughs> no, no. Actually, he was just walking through the door. He hadn't had time. And so Grace, oh, Grace was all, all sort of like, you know, I don't want you to make a fool of yourself. She said, I'm not going to stand here. I'm going. So she walks outside and it's pouring with rain. I walk up to Ricky and I go, hey. And he goes, Vernon, you know, we all big cuddle and we're talking to each other. So what are you doing? I said, nothing much. I'm just standing here waiting for my wife to come back from the rain and uh, then I'm going. And he said, well, what's she doing out in the rain? I said, she figured you'd never remember me. So she didn't want to see me make a fool of myself. And then just saying, Grace comes through the door, sopping wet. And Richard stands and he looks at it, he says, oh, you must be Grace. And she was like, oh, God. Ah. So, it was, so <laughs> the only one that got screwed over was Grace, not me. Unfortunately, Grace was the one. Yeah, she got very wet, actually, trying to get away from me, talking to people I know. But it's all right. But I love her anyway. She's, uh, she's the one that keeps me on the straight and narrow. Man, you're so a great speak. dude. You're like one of the most positive dudes in Hollywood because I left there pessimistic. I, I was done with the industry. The industry was done with me, and you're so happy. And it's 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 great to have during a pandemic positive energy. You got it, Brody oh. Stevens. Oh, yeah. Thank you. Wait, I, you know, I I can't see any any value in um in in going backwards. You know, the only thing I can do is keep going forwards and that's it and enjoy myself. And, you know, I still work. I'm doing, I've got, when this pandemic gets to a point where people can work, I've got five films on the books. Good for you. So, you know, it's like never stops. And I, I always look at it and think, God, you know, it, it all, even now I, I, I'm like, how the F did that happen? You know, like what? Yeah. Um, and I never want to be that blase that i go yeah of course i got five fucking films on the books why wouldn't i have yeah it's like no i'm like totally stunned to be blunt and, earl what uh, do you have earl what do you have on the books right now um watching commando about 10 <laughs> seconds after we're done oh oh i thought you might have a tall blonde with you know yeah he does he has a fiance she's blonde well, good see i was right there's a first damn now the adrenaline's pumping through me. I feel the need to just go, Bennett, I thought you were dead. Thought wrong, John. <laughs> sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. We better stop. I, Miss Vernon, it's, it, it's going to get worse. It's so. going to get worse. Uh, so let's close it out now before we embarrass ourselves. Uh, thank you so much for your time, Mr. Vernon Wells. Follow him on social media. He just won an award. And go watch his short. What's the short again? It's called Fear of the Woods. Fear of the Woods. So on behalf of myself, Earl Skankel from Inappropriate Earl, please subscribe. Thank you so much for your time. We will see you next Tuesday, and that's a wrap. Thanks, guys. Thank King you, Vernon.